Good morning, everybody. If you turn to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, I want to start a new series today called either Breaking Free or Freedom, an important series which is all-encompassing for, for all of our lives. It's a subject we should try and encounter maybe once every five years because it keeps on catching us out, I guess, in ways that we, we don't perceive. Before we begin, you know, the, the, the book of Galatians is like no other book in the Bible to us here in Scotland. Because the book of Galatians was written to Scottish people. Correct. It was written to the Scots, to the Irish, and to the Welsh. And the reason for that is that the Gauls, the Galatians, the Gauls moved into Europe and became the Celts. So this is our particular ancestry. Now, many of you did not originate in Scotland. I understand that. And you better watch, better be careful that you're not shadowboxing, you know. Fighting demons that may have, demons are territorial. Strongholds are territorial. They occupy, that's why when you travel, you encounter different problems in different nations. And the nations that you came from had certain problems. And you can grow up with them. But when you move to another nation, like this, you can leave some of those old problems behind, or you may carry them with you, which you shouldn't do, but you will encounter a whole batch of new trouble. Okay, and you need to familiarize yourself with that nation's history and the problems that those people have, that culture has. So the Gauls became the Celts, the Celts became the Scots, and our hereditary in it are certain problems that Paul deals with here in Galatians chapter 5, he summarizes his point, his cause throughout this book, and that is to set the children of God free. He says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And that tells me that here, of me as a Celt, and it tells me geographically when I live here, that there are things that I need to be careful of in, term of, in terms of losing the initial freedom that God gives me when I get saved. In the 1980s, it was very common to have a sticker with these two words, no fear, on the back of a car, particularly boy racers, right? And they used to bomb down the motorway at 120 miles an hour, and you would see them fly past with no fear. Well, actually, they have a lot to fear, right? You drive at that speed, and you're that crazy, you've got a lot to fear. And it's almost trendy if you ask Christians, have you got any fears? Oh, I've got no fear. I don't believe it. In fact, there are fears in life that we should have. You know, sensible fears, ordinary fears, normal fears. But there are many fears that we should not have. But I would put it to you, and don't answer me till we finish, but I would put it to you that there's actually more fears controlling your life then perhaps you realize, you know, maybe, <laughs> perhaps. For example, that job. You could have gone for that promotion, but you decided not to. What's the problem? Where's the fear? That purchase that you could have made, that boy that you like, that girl that you like, that you wanted to say, I like you, but you were afraid. That ministry opportunity, or even when you're walking down the street, you know, and there's a blind man there, and your spirit says, go and pray. But you don't. Why? Because you're afraid of maybe rejection. You're afraid that your prayer won't work. And actually, before you start saying this and just letting these words you know, tritely run off your toe. Oh, no fear. Just pause a moment and, and, and consider your decisions. Because your decisions, and you know them, your decisions will actually tell me how much fear you actually have. Right? Whether the, I mean, how much are you giving? How much is your faith pledge? Because that is a good thermometer of our faith or our fear. And these two things, as we'll see today, fight within us. They war against us. Now, I, had a, I grew up in Belfast in a war zone, 
and there was a lot of bombs and bullets throughout my childhood. And it was a little bit fearful, to be honest with you. It was a bit scary sometimes. And I learned a lot by observing my mother and her, her way of dealing with fear. She was actually very good at that. Sometimes you couldn't find her. And we would, Mom! Mom! And you would go, ah, oh, there she is. She'd be in the front of the house, standing, looking down the street, because that day there would have been a bomb. It was before mobile phones, you know. There would have been a bomb, or there would have been some shootings, and some of my brothers maybe not home, you know. And she had fears that we would be killed, and I watched her through that time. But then we all left home, and then she was left with my father, who was getting very elderly. And then I noticed that her fear changed because she, time had moved on. And now she was frightened that he was going to die. And I saw how she coped with that. And then he died. And then I saw her have the fear of living on her own and how she coped with that. And I learned through that that actually you can say no fear, but different phases of life whether we like it or not, we should be in, a, a, in some degree of preparedness for the fears that just living on this earth bring. Are you with me? Amen. Right? And, and otherwise, they will take us by surprise. And that's a silly thing because you can get knocked off balance. But to begin with, understand that there are healthy fears, there are good fears, and there are unhealthy fears, things we don't want. But you need to keep the healthy ones. Like if you're standing on the edge of a cliff, <laughs> you need to be fearful, you need to be careful, or you might die. But some people, some Christians, I hope you're listening, folks, some Christians get the wrong idea here. I know this is painful for me because it still hurts me now. I lost a member on this. Alex was his name. It was awful, terrible time for our church. Alex was a, a Christian, no fear! I'm not frightened of anybody. God is with me. Alex, calm down a little bit, you know. And Alex and a few of our guys went to Powerscourt Waterfall just outside Dublin. And that is a, a severe waterfall. And the guys were telling me that he, he died. They were all broken hearted. They said, we all arrived at the waterfall and we came to the first sign that said, don't pass this point. So we kind of stopped. But two or three people went forward and Alex just kept going. And there was another sign. And then there was another sign. Don't go any further. Don't go further. And Alex just went, wanted to look over the waterfall. Well, he got so far near the edge and whoop, over he went, smashed his skull. He had 11 children. And I had to do that funeral. And I remember thinking about this. Oh, you foolhardy. I could just see him do it because that's what he was like. He was a lovely person incredibly helpful in every way. But the man did not know how to keep hold of healthy fears and normal things that we have as human beings that keep us safe in life. Okay, So there are healthy fears, but there are so many unhealthy fears that Paul is talking about here. And I want us to begin a series today. Since we're coming up to a new year, 2014, and think of breaking free of all the things that hold us back, that hinder us, and they are many, they're manifold, and we'll at least get the mechanics of freedom just like we can do with fear. And we can apply the same principles to each one of these topics that we'll deal with. Now, take a look at this. You've, you've probably seen variations of these statistics before, but they never cease to amaze me, the things that frighten people. I mean, number one, Public speaking, I can understand that. You know, that's a very scary thing, scary thing for me. Heights, I got a little bit of a fear of heights. Insects and bugs, financial fears, deep water, sickness, death, flying. Good job we don't have that one, eh? Um, for example, is anybody afraid of spiders? Anybody? Elizabeth, come down here. Come on down here. You are going to be so sorry you put your hand up. Come on down here. Come on. <laughs> Come down here. I want to talk to you in a moment. <laughs> now, you can overcome your fear. Can she overcome her fear? Okay, come up here. Come up here. Now, stand up there. Now, 
healthy fears and unhealthy fears. Okay? Put your hand out. No. <laughs> okay, look. It's the cutest little, loveliest little... It's the cutest little thing you've ever seen. Don't be afraid. It's plastic. It's plastic. It's irrational. It's a ra- you, you shouldn't have any fear. She's doing well, isn't she? Okay, 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 okay. Here's another one. Is it, is it a little bit creepy crawly? Okay, put your... Okay, praise the Lord, put in your hand. That's what I want you to do, to overcome any unhealthy fear. Give her a round of applause. Praise the Lord. Take a seat. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Here you are, guys. Just hang on. Anybody afraid of rats? Who said I? Who said I? Who was that? Tando? Sheila, come down here. Sheila, Sheila, come down here. Come on, come on, Sheila. <laughs> okay. I want you to, I just want you to, I just want, you know what, listen, I was sitting in a pub once, right, years and years ago, whole gang of us sitting together, and this girl came in, I'll never forget, I, I, I don't I can't remember her name, but she was always looked a bit grubby, she always looked as if she needed a bath, to me, and she sat beside us, and you know, something started moving in her jumper, yeah, and so, watching your jumper, so it's just my pet, and it was a rat, she had a rat in her jumper, yeah. Terrible. Uh-oh. Sheila, look, there's healthy fears and there's unhealthy fears. But I came in this morning and downstairs, you never guess what I found. Oh, no. Yeah. No, no. Okay, okay. No, no, you, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. It's a rush, though. There you are. There you are. Look at that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Go ahead. Take your seat. Do you want to keep it? Okay. Now, who considers himself brave? God help us all. Not you. <laughs> Still consider uh, Madhu, come here. <laughs> I want I want to test your 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 fear levels here. Now I want mind over matter. Just stand there a second. See this? These things are lethal. We caught a load of rats in this church. I think I caught 17 one weekend. But the, 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 these things you do need to be careful with them because they are actually quite dangerous. This is, see, see that little thing there? See if you were to put your finger on that. It wouldn't be nice. Would it? You've got ten anyway, so don't worry about it. Look, watch. That's not good. Amen? But what I want you to do is I want you to have trust. Because life, 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 no, life is full of fears. Life has, has tons of fears. And you're going to go through life. You can't just, you know, you, you're going to have to believe in God. So I want you to start by believing in me. So what, all right, he says, all right. So what I want you to do is when I say one, two, three, I want you to put your finger, I want you to put your finger and spring that rat trap. You ready? Three, two, hang on. I did this once and I got blood all over my glasses. So I just got to, okay. Three, Chris, you stand by. Thank you, Chinjai. Okay. Three, two, put your, Excuse me. Fear, fear will grip you. But God says to do certain things and you've got to do them. Okay? So you have to trust Him. I say, put your finger on it. Put your finger on it. Yes! Go on. Well done, man. Okay. Say, oh ye of little faith. Life is full of fears. Some of them are rational. Some of them are good. Some of them we need to hold on to. But some of them are totally, you know, off the wall. And if you let them control you, they can destroy your life, destroy your development. So I want to understand the root of this thing. God says he has not given me a spirit of fear, right? And I've got to conquer it and understand it. Turn to Genesis a moment. Genesis chapter 3. I will show you the entry point of fear. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10. This is the first mention of fear in the Bible. And it's also the first mention of sin. So the first mention of sin. What comes after sin? Fear. Fear comes in after sin. This is Adam talking. And he answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. And you know the story. So he hid. And men have been hiding ever since. First comes sin. 
then comes fear. In fact, if you look at your notes this morning, I want you to take these notes away with you because they're very beneficial to keep and to study in the cell groups through this coming week. At the top of your notes there, I've put the, the, the social causes, if you like, or the worldly causes of fear. And the, on top of that list is sin. We'll deal with that through the full length of this series. Um, but secondly, another cause of fear entering our lives would be our parents, our mother and father. Now, I don't, my mother had certain fears, absolutely. But I want you to think about your mom and dad a moment. Look at me a moment. Let's say you're a baby and your mom is, is carrying you and nursing you. And your mom sees a mouse and she throws the baby and runs, right? So that is going to affect you. As a child, that is going to have an impact on you. And some parents, their children grow up and maybe that home is financially stressed. And all you ever hear about is watching the pennies, money, money, money. And that can put a fear concerning finances on the children of that home. It might be mice, it might be war, it might be something. But you've got to be very careful of this one because it's a sneaky one. I, I, I don't like dealing with phobias. I deal with some phobias. I'm dealing with one at the moment, one individual who's really in pain and trouble in their lives through a phobia that's entered them. You see, the, the way this works, folks, everybody listen, the mother or father can have a fear, but the child gets a phobia. The mother or father may have been able to cope with it, and it may be a bit of a laugh like we just had here. But it's not a laugh because a phobia is life-controlling, right? A phobia can control your days, your nights. And here's just a list. I didn't know these words actually. Glossophobia, eh? speaking in public, fear of death, necrophobia, acrophobia, fear of spiders. There you go, Elizabeth. Mictophobia, fear of darkness, fear of heights. Many different phobias there. Claustrophobia, very, very common. You need to be careful of these from your history, your family tree, and think about the things that have dominated your home life or your parents. And I want you to know from a biblical perspective, even if your parents had every fear in the book, you don't need to have those fears. Amen. Amen. You don't need to live under those fears. You're a Christian and you have God's power available to you. Remember, remember the guy, a UK guy went to America is on holiday and he went into a big church. He was very impressed. Great service. And the pastor just happened to mention during his message that his brother was a homeless drug addict or whatever in the same city. And the visitor thought, well, that's interesting. Here you've got one brother who's very successful pastor and he has a brother who's totally dysfunctional from the same parents. And the visitor thought, I'll just go and ask the pastor. So he went to the guy and said, well, how can you have a brother like that and a brother like you from the same house? And the pastor gave him this answer. He said, well, I'll answer for myself. I am like this because of my father. When I watched the disaster of my father's life and I saw him fall apart, he was a mess. I determined I will never be like that. And he wasn't. And he told him where he could find his brother in a homeless shelter or whatever. And the, the visitor went down. He found his brother. And he said, I met your brother this morning. I said, I want to ask you the same question. How did you end up here? And the homeless guy gave the same answer. Because of my father. You get the point? Amen. It's a choice. You actually did not have to be subject to the problems that your parents had. You don't have to do that. This does not have to be a problem for you. So there are many phobias here. I haven't got time this morning. Sometimes we get phone calls from outside this church. You know, sometimes other people contact us, not very often. And I, if they run out of hope in certain situations, and I'm dealing with one such person right now, which is really bothering me, and bo they're, they're in an awful state. They're, 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 they're suffering from a thing called social anxiety. Have you heard of that? It's becoming very prevalent. Social anxiety is social dysfunction. And I've just been doing as much research as I can into it because I'm quite mystified by the number of individuals, 50 million Americans currently suffering from that. It, it's a performance-based problem where people who do extremely well 
academically can often end up dysfunction, in dysfunction relationally. And I'm dealing with this individual who's a very high achiever, but they're dysfunctional. And you know where they are this morning? Sitting in a room with the curtains closed on their own. Sad. It's very sad. Because they feel they can't perform in front of you. They feel they're not worthy to sit beside you. And I've been trying everything to try and tease them out of that room so that they can just be normal again. But they were on a road that actually begins with you know, performance-oriented parents, but it actually ends up in a dysfunctional in individual. And social anxiety is not on this list, I notice, but it, 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 it will be. It will be. Because our societies are becoming racked with new ways and new problems, you know. And we need to try and keep pace with them and protect ourselves from them. What are the entry points of fear? Sin? Mom and dad? A divorce in a family? That's very common today, I'm sorry to say, in the church as well as outside it. But a child can grow up and if their mom is divorced or their dad is divorced, what do you think the child thinks? I could get divorced. Might happen to me. And that can be a, a, a problematic thing within their marriage to be. They can start to look for the negative, believe in the negative instead of believing in the positive, right? In fact, that's the next point. Job chapter 3. Look at this. Job chapter 3, verse 25. Famous scripture. What I feared the most has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. Now, don't answer this out loud. What do you fear? What do you dread? You're going to have to be careful of those things because Job here says that there's a way in which, shall we call it negative faith? There's a way in which you as a person, if you have negative faith, can start to attract the wrong thing. Amen? Amen. The thing that I feared the most because I tolerated it, because I let it take a grip on my mind, the devil can twist that faith within you. Remember, lost and saved, everybody's got faith. The devil can, can twist that faith and use it as a self-inflicted wound. And you've got to be careful of mind games about yourself or about other people. This, th these are the stages that I would warn you about. Look at these. It begins with you permitting wrong thoughts about yourself or about someone else. Okay? If you're not allowed to do that. The Bible says do not entertain negative thoughts, right? Be careful of that. If you entertain negative thoughts, what's next? What's next? All of a sudden, those thoughts will turn into you imagining all sorts of things about either yourself or the people that, you know, the devil wants to wind you up about. And then, lo and behold, it will actually become your reality. I will give you an example. Many people will come to any pastor on a regular basis and they will say, Pastor, Pastor, nobody likes me. Nobody likes me. I think I'll just stop coming to church. Now, there's no point talking. They're already here normally, but you've got to try and get them back here. Why did you entertain those negative thoughts about yourself? This began by you thinking negatively about yourself. And that's what we need to deal with. Once you, let that, once you were disobedient to God and you kept on thinking, oh, I'm no good, nobody's going to love me, nobody likes me. Next thing, you're imagining, you're reading into every social situation your own rejection. Are you with me? Happens all the time. And then it becomes reality because such people you cannot reach. You cannot give them love even if you try. They can't receive it. They can't give it. It has become their reality but it's all false. I've worked with the same group of leaders for about 20 years. And many times in my early years as a young leader, many times the devil would try to put thoughts in my mind about Shane Comiskey, Ray Belfield, Rick Seward, try and make me think negative things about them. And if I permit that, next thing I will be reading in to everything they do, everything they say, and it's all false. All crazy imagination. And then it will become my reality and I will break my relationship, which is the devil's goal, to destroy my relationship. I need my leaders, amen. amen. 
And the devil's goal is your wife to give you wonky thoughts, crazy imaginations, and to make you, you know, it's nigh on insanity, you know. Your husband, the wrong, your friends, or yourself. That you start to think wrongly, think badly, speak badly. And when people end up in stage three, that it is a reality. I remember one lady in one church many years ago. She was right here. No matter how we tried to love her, no one could love her. Nobody could get near her. Even if you try. Self-imposed isolation, self-imposed defeat. Because of disobedience on those you know, steps. And I counsel you, I challenge you. Do you know what, do you know who Michael McKeever is? I am what God says I am. That's what I am. And that's what I will think. And that's what I will verbalize. That's what I will believe for. And Satan, you can take your negative thoughts about me because I will reject them. And I will not start reading into every situation negativity towards myself. Otherwise, the thing that I fear the most will be the very, will be, it'll become my reality. Okay? Amen? Amen? Be careful, folks. Live in the freedom that Christ has got for you. My identity should come from the Word. And th- 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 these are often personality dysfunctions. My personality, I hope you're listening, it comes from my pursuit of my gifting. My identity comes from the Word, from the Word of God. But my personality... And who I am, becoming who I am, it comes as I pursue my gifting. Because that's the thing, whether you're a worship leader, whatever, whoever you are, whatever you do, you will become that, enter into it, mature in yourself as you get that gifting. Identity from the word, personality from your gifting. But if you shrink back from gifting, you see that shoe stuck. I, have, I guess I've come to respect over the years, looking at, at my own life, entry points at which the devil has tried to get me, tried to knock me off track. When it comes to fear, entry points are a major key. And I would, at the end of today or through this week, you can think back over your life at things that have happened to you that were negative moments, negative entry points that changed your whole demeanor, your perspective on life and on others. I'll give you an example. There was a lady on a trip to Egypt and she was going up inside the pyramids. She doesn't have claustrophobia. She's got no problem. And inside the pyramids, there are narrow staircases. It can only take one person. And she's going up, very excited, but something went wrong and everybody had to stop. And she's inside the pyramid, stuck in a narrow space, And her testimony was this. She was on CBN, Pat Robertson. She came back and she said this. I'm not the same. Something's happened to me. In that when we got stuck, I froze. I became terrified of the small space. I had to get out of there. And now, everywhere I go, I I can't go in that room. It's, It's much too small. I need to see, where's the door? There's the door. I've changed. I need help now. Do you understand? Entry point. It was an entry point. Failure in life, rejection, whatever, these can be entry points. The death of a loved one, it can be an entry point. Okay? The loss of a dream, an entry point. And you need to think back about the things that, because, I mean, we've had a good life, thank God, Jeanette, but we've had our ups and downs as well. And I've got to look back at my life and think, have any of those things become an entry point that have changed me from becoming the person I want to be? God wants me to be. Has a fear entered in that now restricts me? That has slowed me down? You've got a little bit of claustrophobia, funny enough. Jeanette's a little bit claustrophobic. She's a lady of all ladies, I tell you that. She's a lady 365, 24-7, except when you put her in a small space. Then she's no lady. When she gets stuck, and this has happened to us several times, when she gets stuck, normally in a toilet, she's stuck in a toilet and the door won't open, she turns into a monster. It's like Incredible Hulk in the toilet, you know. And she starts and she screams, she always screams one word, same thing every time. Michael! 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 Open it up! Open it up! 
And they go, shh, calm down, calm down, shh, relax, relax. I go, I go. And then that lasts about 30 seconds, and then it turns to tears. Oh, please open the door, please open the door. That's claustrophobia, a fear, a fear of enclosed spaces. Now, that's not, you know, not too bad unless it's an extreme case. But it's not just that, folks. As I said at the beginning, it's not pursuing the you that you know God made you to be. You were once on a journey. You were on a road. You were going somewhere. You were getting somewhere. You were becoming. And something happens, people. A fear enters in. And suddenly they've stopped their growth. They've stopped their development. They've been stalled. And that's what we hope to deal with through this series. So there are social, as we may call it, social causes of fear that end up in a very poor self-image. Secondly, there's spiritual causes of fear. They're self-explanatory, right? Ignorance of God's word, disobedience to God's word, doubt, etc. Largely concerning the scriptures and what God says of us and our disobedience of it. But I want to get to that third point. What are the consequences for me then of tolerating fears that God has not intended me ever to have in my psyche, in my life, well, first and foremost, I would say, is I'm not going to have healthy relationships. You can't love someone who's full of fear. Here's a scripture for you. You can all quote it. Perfect love. Okay, say it backwards. Perfect fear. Cast out love. Forgive me, Lord, I'm not twisting the scriptures. I'm just giving you another perspective on the same thing. I think it's reasonably valid that if perfect love casts out fear, I think it's reasonably valid to say that perfect fear, okay, fair is fair. And if you're a person who has permitted fear to grip you and you're so tense, so fearful, you can't love such an individual, a child like that, a mom like that, a dad like that, a granddad like that. Employee like that, flatmate like that. If we permit these fears, they cause tensions and social dysfunction to the, to, to the point where it's going to block normal, healthy relationships. We had a great Saturday with John and Isabel. It was John's 50th birthday. Hallelujah. And we all went down for a meal down the road here. Here you are, Isabel. Here's a question for you. Is this true or false? You can have a rump-stomping, humdinger of an argument with John. Right. A bit like you did this morning. Just joking. <laughs> does it make any difference, though? <laughs> it doesn't make any difference, does it? You can scream at each other. Yell and scream and shout. Has anything changed? She's saying no. <laughs> and those of you who are married, correct? You can have a... And do you know what that is? There's no fear. That's what it is. You can argue, but because, you, because there's love there, the argument, it's hard for single people to get this. I, I, I understand that. But just take all of our words for it. Right, married folk? Right? It makes, it's, it, it makes not one single jot of difference to that relationship because when there's love in the relationship it will cast out fear that's my point that's the joy of love that's the security that love brings but fear destroys all of this fear is a thief it takes away my ability to, 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 to have proper flowing easy-going relationships and it can come in one door, I tell you, and occupy your life, guys. So be careful of it. I would say consequences of fear, absolutely healthy, relaxed relationships where you can be you and not be fearful is one of the first consequences of fear. Secondly, it will block your gifting. I, I've told you my testimony many times. Forgive me if there's new people here. Just briefly, I will explain. Folks, I tell you what, I know this one. I know this one very, 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 very well. Because I, that, that, speaking in public is number one, right? Well, I didn't have a fear of speaking in public. I had a holy terror 
not a fear. I was absolutely terrified. And yet God called me to do that. So I, I was full of fear, absolutely full of fear. And to this day, I remember the day that the church put me in charge of an evangelistic event. And it was a bad day, rainy day, and maybe we weren't going to go. But that was the, the day that changed my life. I, I went out and I hid in a corridor. And I was terrified because I was going to have to preach on the street. And I could cancel the meeting. But I remember shaking and frightened outside, thinking to myself, I can't live like this. I'm frightened. I'm frightened. I it's not right. I can't live like this. And I made a decision. I opened the door and I shouted into that team, we go in 10 minutes. Boom. Guess what? <laughs> I just became. I just, one decision. One decision. And I became from nothing lost to the person God had originally planned me to be. Just like that. Just like that. And from that decision on, every day of our lives, every plane ticket we buy, every country and city we've landed up in, I can date them back to that one choice. I decided that we will go with fear and trembling. And we did. I was terrified. Now, I want you to understand something. I did not go over that day. We went outside Tesco's. I remember it. And I preached one quick message. Back to, but at least I did it. At least I broke the ice. But I did it with fear and trembling. And some of you don't know, you know, do you know what victory looks like? <sighs> you see? So don't be deceived. Just because you're trembling doesn't mean you've failed. It can actually mean you're succeeding. Amen? Amen. Right? So just be careful about your perspective on what it is like to grow, what it is like to become. It can be quite a terrifying experience, but it's the right experience. The consequences of fear, it can torment you. Sleepless nights it gives you a divided mind. It will hinder your growth. And the solution, the bottom of your notes there, this is what I want us all to do, and it's what we are going to do in my life. I'm going to look at areas where the devil has tried to retard me, to hold me back, and I'm going to fight back. Right? I'm going to fight back. Jesus, God help us. And if you speak, God, I will believe it, and I will do it. I will go with it. Amen? Amen. What does victory look like anyway? Hey? What does victory look like? I was big for my age in school, and so I didn't get bullied much, thank God. There's a couple of real hard guys in school, there's about three of them, but they didn't bother me. And there was another guy called Jim McLarnon, and he was very tough. Everybody was afraid of him, but he didn't bother me until I was about 13. And he ended up sitting beside me in technical drawing class. Ah, oh, no, the seat allocate, I'm sitting beside him. I sat there, well, day one, boom. He just started bullying me straight away. And every, whatever, three, four times a week, I got to sit beside him. And he took great delight in punching me, kicking me. And I remember week one, oh, week two, I thought, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of this. And I turned to him in one of the classes and I said, I'm going to fight you. I go, you're going to fight me. That's funny. He's going to fight me. He's going to fight me. Do you hear what he said? That's right. I'm going to fight you. And I gave him the time and I gave him the place. And he said, okay. <laughs> so he turned up. He turned up and he's looking at me thinking, you fool. He walked over. I said, come on. Come on. <laughs> he beat the living daylights out of me. Yeah. What does victory look like? What does victory look like? And if I'm going to overcome fears, I'm going to have to get some wonky perspectives out of my head. I was lying on the ground. I was in quite a mess. And he walked away. Who won there? You see, from that day on, do you know what? He never bullied me again. Never. Back in the class, there he is. Next time I'm in technical drawing. Well... I said, eh, eh. <laughs> I'll, I'll fight you again. I'll fight you again sometime. <laughs> next year. Next year. Yeah, yeah. 
he never bothered me. Instead, he started to seek me out, and we kind of became friends. But I learned a valuable lesson through that. I don't care what you think victory looks like. I won that day. My goal was to stop the bullying. And I completely and utterly stopped the bullying. Now let me show you a picture of what victory looks like. Go ahead, guys. You see, we have a worldly perspective on these things. Now that's victory. That's victory. And in fear and trembling, our Savior sat in the Garden of Gethsemane looking like a complete failure. And then if you look at the cross, are you t- do you see victory? Now, I know you've got all the theological dynamics going on now, so you understand it. But understand this, folks. On this day, believe me, this was not glorious on the day. In the eyes of the world, in the eyes of his followers, this is a guy who's just been completely obliterated, knocked down and destroyed. Shouldn't have picked on the bully. Devil too big for you, Jesus. So some other dynamic has to be going on inside this dear mind. A dynamic that says, no, I will trust the Lord and I will take what I, I will, with fear and trembling. In Gethsemane, it says he sweated blood. He sweated blood knowing that he was going to have to face the cross. And with fear and trembling, he went to that. With fear and trembling, Paul achieved his goals. And I want you to face your fears. I want you to analyze your fears. Think back over your life because I am convinced that they are prohibiting you, blocking you, retarding you, stifling you in a multitude of ways, relationally, financially, gifting for sure. Why don't you pursue that gifting? I'll tell you why. Because you're afraid of something. Something's scaring you off the track. Amen. Amen. And we're going to stop that. At least we'll give you the opportunity to stop it. Do you know, statistically, they say 97% of the things that we are frightened of or worry about never happen. 97%. That's a lot of worrying. That's a lot of fear, right? A lot of wasted energy and wasted time. The bottom of your notes, the last concluding three points there. How are we going to do this? I want you to call the devil's bluff on any form of fear that he has put up in front of you to stop you moving forward, right? You analyze your own life. You know, have you heard the, the, the story? Eyes forward, please. There's a guy on a country road, and he's decided that he's going to pursue his destiny. He's going to pursue God no matter what. So he buckles on his armor, you know, and he gets ready for the fight. He says, right I'm going to go with God, I'm off. And he starts down that road. And in the distance, suddenly, he sees a giant, a huge, monstrous giant. And he's scared. And he shouts to the giant, who are you? And the giant shouts back, I am fear. Huh. And the Christian thinks for a moment, ah, not so easy, huh? But then the great thing is the Christian makes one simple decision. Listen carefully. The Christian says this. Do you know what I'll do? I'll take one step. And he notices that the giant shrinks by about an inch. Did you see that? I am fear! So the Christian thinks, another step? shrunk by another inch another step shrunk by another inch and then the Christians hang on a minute and the Christian starts to run and when he gets to that giant that was all a deception it was all a deception I was able to overcome this all the time and that is a typical story folks of many of the issues that debilitate us debilitate you and debilitate me. And I want you to face that fear. Can you imagine dying and going before Jesus Christ? And Jesus says, hey, Everson, come here. Come here, let me show you something. 
got something to show you. So I'm Jesus. Everson has just died. Forgive me, you're well alive, I know. <laughs> and Jesus says, I've got something to show you. Come, look, can you see it? You know what that is? It's cancer. That's cancer there. Do you see cancer? Yeah, that's it there. Hang on. I got it. It's okay. Uh, look, look, there's poverty. And loneliness, see? Oh, there's fear. Look. That's okay. I got it. You don't ever need to be afraid of these things. And I believe that one day our eyes will be opened and you will stand and you will walk up and say, Oh, God, God, are you telling me? Are you telling me that I ran from this? Are you telling me that that's the level this thing was at and I spent my life in fear of this? Are you kidding me? But of course, your daddy's bigger than his daddy. Right? Get a perspective that God is your God. In fact, turn to that. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. I'll close with this scripture. I haven't got it here. We can quote it anyway. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of sonship and a sound mind. You see how these two things are connected? If you live with fear, you're going to be rattled in your sanity. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but when he takes the fear away, you haven't got your sleepless nights now, you're not deranged in your relationships, God has not given you a spirit of fear that leads to a crazy mind. Like that dear individual this morning sitting in their home. Wanting to be here, but just can't make it. God has given you a a spirit of God within you. And he's also given you these great names. And whatever you face, whatever battle you face, and cell leaders, you might want to print out a list, or I can give you a copy of this to take home. But whatever f- challenges you face, look at the top one. El Shaddai. God is sufficient. And you can face a fear of insufficiency. Insufficiency within yourself. Well, there's your key, right? There's your name. And you start to quote in your home, in your prayer time, El Shaddai. That's who you are. You are my El Shaddai. All sufficient God. Jehovah Jireh, the second one. That if you're lacking anything in your life, you take the name of God, the powerful name of God, and you start to declare that. Amen. Amen. When you're being bullied or put down, He is the mighty one. You get the picture. You're under attack. He is your shield. You're feeling low or weary. He is your strength. And you start to fight back. Hallelujah. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Even if you're shaking, don't be afraid. Look at me. Jesus. About five or six months into my street preaching, we used to use paintbrushes. And the guys would come and teach us how to do the painting, you see. And I would go up to paint like that. And, and I remember somebody saying to me, you're very afraid. And I say, no, I'm not. And I wasn't, actually. Funny thing, your body. It was behaving in a way that I didn't want it to. My body was shaking, but I was as bold as a lion. All my fear was gone, very quickly. But my body was still reacting, and I was still fearful. I'm not fearful now. I don't shake now. But for a long time, I would shake on the street, and people would say, oh, look, terrified. No, I'm not. um, Not anymore. Not anymore. With fear and trembling, you overcome your fears from the inside out. But I want you to begin today. Each one of you have your own problems, your own issues that knock you back. And God cares about that. 
And I remember the, remember the, who was it? I had the, Cynthia. That was the last time I used one of these names. Where is it? There it is. Beer Laharoy. You know Cynthia? Cynthia worked with us for two years in Dublin. She served us faithfully and she was one of our favorite workers ever with us. And then they moved us to Glasgow and I put a request into Singapore. I want her here. And they said, okay. And she came here and Cynthia had one desire and that was that she would find a good husband. And we prayed for her. But I told her, you wait for what? <laughs> the word. You wait. You wait for the word. And so she moved. She could have gone home. She could have done anything. You wait for the word, girl. You don't disobey. And she sat here with us in fear and trembling as the years ticked by. And one Sunday morning, I was over here and I was worshiping God. And God spoke to me loud and clear. Hallelujah. Took three years to get that word. <laughs> Go tell Cynthia, Beer Laharoy, that I am the God who sees her. I thought, yes, got it, got it. And I got Cynthia, took her down in the office, got your word, I got your word, I got your man. Hallelujah. And she sat there and I said, God spoke to me this morning. I will eat my hat if you're not just about to meet your husband. And what happened next? Some of you will remember. We went to Aust uh, Czech Republic and her visa was faulty. They refused her to leave the Czech Republic and they flew her to Singapore. She was gone. Where's Cynthia? We prayed the prayer and she was gone, just like that. Huh. She lands in Singapore. They were a person short on the team for East Timor. She joined the team for East Timor, walked into the room, and she met her husband. Hallelujah. Hiya. The name of God. What did God give me to overcome that fear? A name. A name. Take this and apply it to that situation. What's your fear? Sickness? Death? Poverty? Loneliness? What is it? Whether you believe it or not, you're looking at the answer. I just pray that God opens your eyes and you take that key and you say, right, I'm going to go to work with this key until I get the promise in my hand. Amen? In the coming weeks, we're going to look at the different things that block your freedom, your flow. So I believe we can go into 2014 with a newfound freedom. You can do that. Amen?